Hey everyone, just a quick update before we get started. Today I'm bringing you an interview with Sarah, who gives you many tips and insights into being a corporate flight attendant, including how to transition out of the job when you are ready. Writing this draft of my novel is taking longer than expected as usual. So I will be back with an episode on either Friday, September 22nd, or Friday, October 6th, 2023. Remember to click on the follow button and the newest episode will pop up automatically on your podcast app. The last thing, on Friday, September 15th, 2023, I will be moderating a fundraising event at the Patterson Museum in Patterson, New Jersey, in case you live in the area. I will be modding a panel discussion of Maria C. Palmer's Amazon bestseller called On the Rocks. It is the story of the rise and fall of her father's restaurant empire. The book is fantastic, and the proceeds from this event go to the St. Paul's Breaking the Cycle Initiative. So join us on September 15th, 2023 in Patterson, New Jersey. All the info will be in the show notes, and enjoy this interview with Sarah. Hi, everyone. This is Jennifer. Welcome to the Corporate Flight Attendant Podcast. I was a corporate flight attendant for six years, and I tell you the brutal, honest truth of this industry. Before we start today, please remember, if you like this podcast, give me a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, check out the show notes for my CFA book and strategy session. And if you just want to donate because you love me, you can donate as well. Okay, I'm excited to introduce today's guest, a former corporate flight attendant who just left the industry for an amazing new job, but on the ground. Today, we have Sarah. In 2015, already a seasoned traveler, Sarah joined a distinguished private jet operator as a corporate flight attendant in LA. This path reshaped her world, intertwining work and leisure across global horizons. During her downtime abroad, Sarah uncovered unexplored corners and started a blog with all her discoveries. While flying, she was also a freelancer in the digital marketing space. Fitness is another passion of hers. It fueled a personal mission to inspire others toward wellness. Her amazing blog is called sarahsadventures.com. And it's Sarah spelled S-A-R-A apostrophe S. Welcome, Sarah. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. We're so (laughs) excited for you to be here. Thank you so much. So let's get right into this. Please tell us how you got started in the corporate aviation industry. I moved to LA in 2014 from Montreal, and I was working as a marketing job at that time. After a year, didn't really work out with that company. So I had been working out in a gym, CrossFit style gym, and I was teaching a lot of different people's members. And one of the, well, she became a very good friend of mine, but one of my clients at the time, I was working as a corporate flight attendant and she had asked me, you know, why, why don't you start flying? You have three passports, you're bilingual. Have you ever thought about it? Very honestly, in Montreal, when at school, no one actually ever told me this was a career or a path that was possible. So um, I was very excited. And I, you know, she helped me with the interview process. And it was all about like saying yes to crazy opportunities at that point in my life. So I got the job with 
company that took a chance on me. I had no experience in flying, but I had worked in restaurants in Montreal and in Ireland previously. I think my bachelor's degrees in marketing might have also helped a little bit with presenting myself to people in a very professional manner. Anyway, so that's kind of how it happened. And uh, I'm so glad I actually said yes. (laughs) You said so many vital things (laughs) to our listeners. I kind of want to break that down a little bit. I love that you said you knew someone and this person saw that in you and kind of took you under their wing a little bit, and then you got into the industry. Do you believe, because I believe this is what happens 99% of the time, it's such a secret industry that you have to know someone. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I am so grateful for my friend Alicia, because without her, I would never, ever have you know, travel the world. Shout out, Alicia. And all these incredible experiences. Yes, absolutely. She saw something in me that I didn't even know was there. <laughs> so, and I've helped other people in the past also with, you know, just getting interviews or getting the resume at the top of a pile because I know how competitive it is. And I strongly believe that networking and having someone in the industry is definitely a huge help. And you also said that you, I, I love this from a metaphysical sense, that you responded when you received a big yes. You said, I received a big yes. So what was that feeling like? When did you just know, okay, this is the right job for me at this time, and I really want to pursue it? What did that feel like for you? Oh, it was incredible. I mean, honestly, I, I had started traveling when I was 12 years old. I was very lucky. My mother's whole family is was in Ireland is still is in Ireland so I took the plane for the first time at 12 years old and by myself and it was just you know that that love for travel was <laughs> instantly created in me by saying yes to being paid to travel the world it was like are you kidding me <laughs> you know I you know, it was just it was incredible. And I did work very hard. The The company I was working for at the time had uh, this program where since I didn't have any experience and I didn't particularly want to pay for the, the training, they called it ground school. So we really started from the bottom. I mean, like cleaning toilet seats, helping restocking aircraft in 110 degree weather. But I learned so much from that experience that when I actually started flying with them, I knew every or most of the aircrafts in and out. I knew our stock room and I had a chance to also shadow a few flight attendants prior to uh, them departing and arriving after international trips. So I don't know if that answers your question. (laughs) It totally does. And that's a really smart way to do it. And unfortunately today, the shadowing is getting less and less. It's really hard to find that person who will let you shadow. So the fact that you started from the ground up, excuse a pun, but you did. (laughs) I think (laughs) that's what really helped. Everyone saw you were a hard worker and that you could do the job and you weren't above anything or below anything. And I I love that. So being bilingual, you are bilingual in English and French. Did that help you in the industry? French is not spoken that much in, you know, obviously North America, and there's only a few select countries in the in in the world, and specifically Europe, where it's spoken. I can say I probably used it, you know, a few times, especially going through Paris with some uh, 
restrictions on what foods I could bring in and everything. So it came in handy when I could hear the agents talking kind of behind my back. So I was able to intervene at that moment or help out actually some pilots with transport from the, uh, the airport to the hotel. So I can say it did help a little bit. The fact that I traveled very young was a huge edge for me. And I'm so grateful that I had that opportunity. Absolutely. Well, it's interesting you say about the bilingual because, or that I brought up the bilingual, because I had spent time in Australia. I was in Melbourne and I interviewed at two private jet companies and they liked me. They said, we'll hire you, except you need the visa. And they said, if you, you know, if you get engaged or partner up or whatever, or do all that paperwork, you can have a job in a second. Then there was a third company that was a charter company who I, who I interviewed with. And they said to me, you have to have a proficiency, let's just say, of Mandarin, or I believe it was Cantonese. Yeah. So they would not hire anyone unless they were at least proficient in Mandarin or Cantonese. And I was surprised by that, but I guess they must have had a lot of Chinese passengers. Within that company I worked for for quite some time, I actually just think there was maybe two or three of us flight attendants that were bilingual. There was one other one that spoke French and then maybe a few others that might have spoke Spanish, but it was quite, uh, it was very, very uh, English focused, <laughs> might I say, Anglophone. Yeah, absolutely. What did you find the most challenging about being a corporate flight attendant? For me, it was really the schedule changes. To be very honest, I was someone that was so organized prior to starting flying. I was the kind of person that had my whole schedule planned for months in advance, you know, dinner parties and like travel and all this stuff. And then, of course, when, you know, aviation, there's never any plan that actually usually is as is. So that was really hard. I actually strongly believe I was able to rewire my own DNA in that sense. It just went against the type of person that I was. For me, that was the most challenging part. The, you know, the being in another country for a long amount of time, that never bothered me. I know a lot of flight attendants struggle with that or the fact that you're, you know, in a different environment that is not your home being kind of destabilized by it. I actually really loved it. So, and well, the jet lag, but I think the jet lag is just a common thing for everyone. <laughs> How did you deal with the jet lag? Do you think you dealt with it pretty well? I do not deal with jet lag well at all because of my autoimmune disease combined with, I just don't deal with it versus my husband, who's been a pilot for almost 40 years, who deals with it amazingly well. He he would do, he's done, I think, one or two around the world trips and he hardly had any jet lag when he came home. And I think that the secret to that, guys, is that you can fall asleep any time of the day. I can't. I'm that type of person also that I'm unable to nap. So that was very hard for me. Although I did discover, I found some hacks that worked really well for me drinking a lot of water, of course, but I also started intermittent fasting while I was flying. And that really helped. Well, not just when I was flying, but you know, all the time. But I strongly believe that that helped me a lot because I felt like in the morning I was resetting my body. It was used to eating for, eating for a certain amount of time and then fasting for another amount of time. So when I would start eating, I would be breaking the fast. And depending on, you know, what time of day, for, for me, I would have breakfast at 1 p.m. So 
when I would have breakfast, it would be the signal to my body, like, okay, it's 1 p.m. where we are in the world. And that really helped. And I also sleep, just like really focusing on sleeping as much as possible when possible. You know, rest is so important. Uh, I will say also limiting alcohol was a big thing because obviously the first thing you want to do when you get off and you're like, oh, yay, we just did like a, you know, 36 hour day. I need, you know, a drink to celebrate. Well, it actually messes up your sleep cycle really badly. That's also another tip that I discovered along the way. Those are great (laughs) tips. Intermittent fasting. I really didn't think about that for travel. And that's a really good point. And, And definitely alcohol. Yeah, alcohol. You guys, alcohol Fs you up. I mean, I hate to say it, especially yep. if you're an older uh, flight attendant. You sh- yeah, you need to cut that shit out. <laughs> I know it. Yeah. And fitness, you can you can like replace it with fitness. Like another thing that I would try to do also, like my routine when I was on the road was if possible, of course, when you do international traveling, sometimes it's not possible to wake up early and go for, you know, workout. But that usually really helped me also wake up and feel better was like just even like a 20 minute sweat session or going out for a walk or moving my body felt like I was resetting it to the local times. But sometimes it wasn't possible. I mean, I did uh, some trips to Dubai where it was literally we slept that night and we were leaving. And so to me, that didn't matter. I didn't try to get on any time zones. I was just trying to get the maximal rest to be able to fly back. (laughs) Absolutely. So if you could share one tip for any of our aspiring new CFAs, what would it be? I struggle with that question because there are so many tips that I want to say, but I feel like in 2023, what you share and what you post on Instagram is a big thing. And it actually can go both ways. So I was very lucky when I got hired as a full-time flight attendant, the owner's assistant actually found me through Instagram. I had worked for them on a charter trip and they were able to, that's how they reached out to me. So there are plus sides to uh, social media. The downsides are, of course, that they have an in on your life. And even if they say, they tell you they're not, they're not big social media people or everything, Maybe they're not, but maybe their assistants are. So I would just say to be very careful in what you put out there and don't share anything about the plane. Be very safe about what you post when you're traveling abroad. And most of us sign NDAs anyway. So it's, you know, that's kind of standard, but I would definitely say that social media is something to look out for. Absolutely. I actually knew someone, I just found out they got fired because of that, because this individual kept taking pictures of the plane. The tail number wasn't there, but the person would take pictures from outside the plane, in the plane, and they found out and they fired this individual. So, And I mean, like some owners put so much money into paint jobs. So, you know, they're, and they're so proud of their paint jobs. And and if you have some stalker following you to try to figure out where the plane is and the paint job, and sometimes, I mean, it's not that funky of a color or anything. It's just the, the different stripes are just like a little, and it really makes a difference. We have to be really careful. We represent a company, we represent a client, and uh, their safety is so important. That's why they travel in private jets most of the time. (laughs) Yes. And remember, they have that person who I asked to come on this podcast, but he never responded, was the guy who follows around Elon Musk. 
He follows around all the big celebrities now. He has figured out how to break the code, basically, of these tail numbers when they're hidden. The FAA hides them and they can do that because you pay for this service. And he's figured out how to break the code. So you can just go on Instagram now. And you can see, oh, Elon Musk just flew here to here, or this celebrity just flew here to here, which really, that's really unfortunate. And that has taken a big hit in the private jet industry. And these corporations are trying to figure out, they're scrambling how to get around this. And it's tough. You have a beautiful and successful travel blog called Sarah's Adventures. What inspired you to start the blog? And would you please tell us about it? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. When I moved to LA, I had a lot of friends that were asking me, you know, that wanted to actually follow my adventure, my move across the, well, to another country, (laughs) to the opposite side of the continent. So I initially, it all started with Tumblr way back in the day. Tumblr. We can even get up MySpace too. Oh my God. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So that was like, you know, it was like little blog entries and, you know, updates. It was kind of like a Facebook, but just for pictures and, you know, little things that I wanted to share with uh, close friends and family. At some point, one of my girlfriends, actually the same one, Alicia, shout out to Alicia again. You got to come on. (laughs) Oh, yeah, she's and she's a very experienced flight attendant. Also, she was like, Hey, Sarah, I'm taking a class to learn how to build a website. You know, I think that would really be great for you. So she actually encouraged me to do that, which I did. I also really liked the fact that everything was more structured. Tumblr was great for, you know, small little posts. But because I found a lot of friends asking me for tips and, you know, suggestions on countries that I visited or cities, and it was kind of hard to find with Tumblr. So I built a website by myself and started writing more and more content and creating different posts, uploading pictures, and then it became like a massive project. So I actually hired someone to help me with it because it was becoming, you know, I wanted to update, upgrade it a little bit. And it you know, I'm not, I'm not someone that um, does coding or anything. So asked for help. And so yeah, so it kept me really busy when I was the road. And you know, I was in the middle of nowhere with like nothing to do, I would write blogs, or I would update the different posts, uh, cities I'd been to previously. It was also great, because I developed more, uh, more writing skills, which was also very cool, especially as English being my second language, it was, uh, it was a great way to, uh, to expand my horizons with (laughs) different words and different tools. It would really encourage me to go out and explore the cities, even though they weren't, it's not New York, or even if it was a small town, you know, I wanted to find the little cute local coffee shop or the cute little river walk or something. So Very cool. Very cool. And everyone should go on and read this blog. I will, of course, put it in the show notes. I will link to it so you can click right through. I've read some really good posts on Sarah's blog and uh, some really funny stuff about Antigua. I lived in the West Indies. I was friends with all Antiguans. So she was very accurate in how she (laughs) described Antigua. So I found that really, really good. So yeah, definitely pop on there. So you... Yes, of course. You have a passion for health and fitness, especially when you're on the road as a CFA. Can you share a tip or two for CFAs to stay healthy and fit while you're flying around the world, crossing time zones, faced with fatigue and eating garbage food? 
my main thing was when I got to room, again, this is all very relative because it depends on the context. It depends on where you are, how long you've flown, you know, all these things. But I would get to my room and right away change into my workout clothes because I knew that instantly, I said previously, but 20 minutes, 30 minute workout is better than nothing. It gets the blood pumping, makes you feel better, even though you've had, you know, very long day, probably going to help you sleep better. So having comfy clothes that you like to work out in, that you feel great in, is also a huge tip. Using the stairs is my other tip. So in hotels, I always use the stairs. Even if it's six, seven flights, that makes a big difference in your day and in your fitness. So those two things I would really are, for me anyways, are the basics. I also travel with some bands because as we all know, we've been to hotels where there's three weights and they're all different sizes or the treadmill doesn't work or there's a peloton there you get all excited and then all of a sudden so we're talking exercise bands those stretchy things that you can just throw in a suitcase exactly yes if you can go outside that's even better fresh air that also helps especially with jet lag and fatigue but that's not always possible if you're traveling to less safe cities or countries I would strongly recommend asking the front desk if it's a safe area, as especially a woman. I think men, is, it's a little bit different, but especially as a woman, it's happened to me in the past where I was followed by, by two men. So I want to say, you know, so you have to still ask those questions uh, to make sure it's safe. I wanted to ask you a little bit about service because I know you were mm-hmm. trained by a very prestigious private jet company and they pride themselves on service. So I just wanted to ask you, you know, you had said you learned something like a Hawaiian service or Hawaiian setup. And I just wanted to know, first of all, what that is, because I've never heard of it. And second of all, what did you learn about service or what's something that you could tell our listeners about service? <laughs> well, actually, the, the Hawaiian <laughs> um, service wasn't so much the service as it was like the setup. You know, we were going to Hawaii. It was just like a big welcome table, big decoration uh, for the the plane, getting all the fruits, obviously, um, the color. So it was more of a theme thing than it was like a service thing, I want to say. I was trained by a school in Long Beach that did a great job as an initial training. I also had worked in the uh, like restaurant industry for a few years. So I already had some bases in, you know, how to serve, how to prep food, but mostly how to serve it, how to set up tables and, and all of that. That being said, I never actually had to do the white glove service. So I was very lucky. I think also that this company that I worked for did a very good job at pairing people with their skills, their personality, and obviously the owners or the charter people. I had mostly family style uh, service. Uh, I did once have like 16 businessmen and I had to do a four four course meal, which was quite a challenge. Um, I would say prep lists are like just a necessity. Menu planning is a big deal. I have a friend of mine that's very, very good at it. So I usually go to her, shout out to Virginia, for tips and tricks. And <laughs> But um, yeah. I don't talk extensively about service on this podcast. And this is why maybe I'll ask uh, you if you could recommend a couple people because I never approach this job from the service. I mean, I did service. I, that's how I got the job, right? Is, is having all the service on my mm-hmm. resume or hospitality. I think my strengths were more being intuitive 
and my personality and knowing mm-hmm. to shut the F up. And that yeah, that's it. Absolutely. Like I wasn't, you know, I was good at presenting stuff. So I was good at, at that type of thing because I liked doing it because it was creative. I think you said, again, a few important things is you had on your resume all the restaurant experience. You had a marketing degree, which helped you in presenting yourself and probably showed them that, oh, this this individual just knows how to deal with people. They know how to make a presentation, that type of thing, right? So you had that. And that really sets you apart from all the other newbies. I think what you said is spot on also about intuition because they knew, the company knew, and and they told me, you know, they knew that they could throw me in any situation and I would be able to very quickly read the room and assess the situation and the vibe to know, okay, is this the kind of service where you walk in and you walk out, like you said, or is it the type of service where they want you to, you know, be chatty, explain all the different plates and dishes that you've prepared and where they come from and what the inspiration was for them and like how they want, did they want it like tapas style, like tiny little pieces here and there? Or did they want like just one big plate with all the food in it and just get out of my way situation? But that's a skill I think that's acquired with time. Well, some people are very lucky and they have it just instinctively, but I think that's something sometimes the charter companies will tell you though in the profile it would be written, you know, if how they like their type of service, which is very helpful. Very helpful, <laughs> but I don't think I ever had to do anything where I had to explain the inspiration and where it's from. I don't think I've ever had to do that. I have to think back, but it does not ring a bell, but thank you for bringing that up because a lot of times you do if you work for these white glove companies, if you work for Saudis or Russians or people like that, that they want that high, mm-hmm. high end service. I'm an American, so we want the low end service, which thank God worked very well with my personality. And I remember <laughs> that I did this trip and it was three flight attendants because it was three planes. And I work with this woman, oh my God, who, she was nice, but she was a little much. She was this flight attendant I worked <laughs> with. And she, we had to do something where it was a very quick trip. It was, let's say, 20 minutes, 25 minutes. Each plane, we had to serve breakfast. So what we did is we ordered boxes because we don't have time. I don't have time to sit there and cater to you. If you're 14 people on a private jet, here's your box. Enjoy. I'm happy to get you coffee or water or whatever. Right. So she turns to me and she looks at me and she goes, (laughs) I don't know if I've told this story before, but she said, I am so used to such high end service. I just don't know if I can do this. And I just, I didn't say anything. I was sitting there going, lady, this is the easiest job in the world. Get over yourself, give them the goddamn box and call it a day. Like, you know what I mean? So, so that's, so that's what I'm like, like when things became that, I was like, okay, like let's calm down. You're lucky. You know what yeah. I mean? I've, I've have heard, I've actually done a flight with Saudis and Russians and it's, totally different. You you have to be on your A game 100%. It is like soul crushing in the sense of, you know, you're mm-hmm. just nervous is what I mean, not soul crushing, but you're just yeah. nervous and the whole thing. So I, I really appreciate, and you worked with Americans too, and we're just kind of laid back, you know, here's your Caesar salad, here's your soup. And I really, really appreciate that. So I think here in the US, it has a lot to do with intuition 
And really, Mm -hmm. I think, Sarah, I hope you can back me up on this, that knowing to be quiet and not to engage with these people unless they want to engage with you. Am I correct on that? Absolutely. That's so important. I, you know, they want their space. A lot of them, it's like their home away from home, or some of them actually, it is their home. They're in the plane more than they are. Actually, you should be there without them really knowing that you're there. And I think that's the most, unless, you know, of course they start asking you questions and then, then you engage. But I was always as quiet as possible, unless I was asked questions or asked to actually, you know, be part of a discussion or be part of the environment. But just to get back to the food, I would say one thing that it really did set me apart from a lot of other flight attendants was that I ate as much as possible, even if it was just a salad or a soup, I tried to source everything locally. Mm. And even in salads, you know, even if I did the salad prep, like chopped everything, I would try to do it the, the day of. And honestly, the amount of time that people told me like, wow, it, the, your salad is so fresh. The f- items that you're using are so crunchy. The last minute things that you do on the plane really makes a difference. Like it adds flavor. And we know like when you're flying so much, sometimes there's just the flavor is not there. You have to enhance it. So that was one thing that I remember I was told very early on when I started and I really made an effort to keep it up throughout those nine years of flying. Yes, that is vital. I agree. Putting putting love into your food and making sure you're enjoying it and doing fresh and because they really do appreciate it. They know the difference from something from catering that's slapped together than something yes. that's nice and fresh Absolutely. and beautifully picked and and prepared with love and all of that. So <laughs> Yeah. And even if it's like the catering, but you add yes. something fresh, like add fresh herbs to it, just add cucumbers that you just chopped on top of it, it's really gonna make it, you know, more tastier and more better. (laughs) No, perfect. I like it more better. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you something just really quick is I flew this billionaire where I scrambled his eggs in the microwave and he thought it was the most exciting thing that I did it fresh. And we're talking a billionaire, you know, and he was like, wait a minute, wait, wait, you can do this in the microwave because I was taking his order and I said, okay, do you want peppers in that? And he said, wait, 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 don't these things come already made? And I said, yeah, but I'm just going to do it in the microwave because that's how I know how to do it. And he's like, I mean, it made his life. So you'd be surprised what thrills these people. So many stories that we could talk about like that. But yeah, you're like a magician, but you're like, oh, this is the basic. But for them, they're like mind blown that their own plane can actually do these things. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, that's so funny. And I always say the story of when I would bring out the Malamars, those cookies that they make in the fall, they're like marshmallow and chocolate and graham cracker that they sell in the fall. And I remember I brought them onto a plane and I was the freaking hero of the day. (laughs) I've also brought in childhood treats that have to do with those oh, yeah. those people's generation. And they're like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. Because they're used to their, Little exactly, attention. they're used to their fancy food from their private chefs. And when mm-hmm. you bring on something fun, it's like, yeah. woo So anyway, I digress yeah. on that one. Thank you for answering that. Thank you for going <laughs> off the cuff. Absolutely. So you've recently moved into digital marketing full time, which is so exciting. Congratulations. Yes. You started as a freelance digital marketer when you were flying. I always stress this on the podcast to have an exit strategy, especially if you're an older flight attendant, or have another job 
while you're a CFA, especially if you're a contractor. Now, I just want to say before I ask Sarah the question, this is the big mistake I made. It was as a contractor, I did not have a second job and a fluid second job where I could do it anywhere in the world, right? More of a internet computer job. And I, I felt that set me back a little bit. So tell us how you manage both jobs while flying and how that allowed you to seamlessly or maybe not so seamlessly sometimes transition careers. It was actually during COVID time. So I have a bachelor's degree in marketing. I graduated a while back. COVID hit, everyone stopped flying. And I was like, okay, I don't want to be that person that was, you know, watching Netflix for how many months. So right away, I looked online, like, cheap classes that I could take. And I took a course from uh, UC Davis online. And because I knew that my bachelor's degree was kind of a little passe, as we would say, you know, a little outdated. So I wanted to find something that was more recent that in my resume would look good. And thanks to that course I did, uh, I was able to start freelancing back in September 2020 when flying was starting to pick up again, but still kind of slow. I did it up until recently for almost three years. It's challenging because you need to be extremely disciplined because you have, as a contractor, on both sides, (laughs) you have deadlines and you have different time zones and you have different, no matter what the job that you're doing, you're going to have clients possibly. So that was the biggest challenge was trying to stay on track with especially the digital marketing job because the flying, I mean, if I said yes, I said yes, and I knew it was coming. So I did feel like for three years, I was constantly playing catch up with, okay, you know, the the flight attendants would go home and like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm down for five days. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have so many emails to catch up on and so many things to do to catch up before my next flight. But that being said, I also knew that I was, you know, my building experience and that when I would stop flying, I would have that as a backup. And that was very important to me, especially because when COVID hit, I, you know, I hit a wall as most people did. I was like, oh my gosh. So if this industry does crumble again, I need to have something else. That experience really helped me with my move to Montreal because I knew the companies had told me, you know, you're in a different country, you're in the East Coast, it's not as busy as the West Coast. So I did do a lot of more of the marketing job since the flying was slower. And the other thing is, as a contractor, sometimes as a flight attendant, there is months that are much slower. So at least I would always have a base since I had a second job. That is so brilliant. And I'm so glad that you allowed us to talk about this because I stress it, but yet I didn't do it. So I can't speak to my listeners from experience, but you can. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that because if you're a contractor, you guys try to do a second job with COVID, it was a shit show. I mean, when all the flying stopped, all the money stopped. So make sure if you can, try to have that second fluid job if you can, or something where it's it's very fluid where you're at home and you have a company that's like, okay, when you're not flying, just come in, come to the office, work for a few days and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. If you can do that, you will put yourself so far ahead of the pack, I promise you. And I just want to say this because this just came to me and see what Sarah's thoughts are on it. 
As women, I think, and by the way, I love my male CFA listeners. You guys are awesome. You've reached out to me. (laughs) I love you all. But as women, sometimes we are told that we are limited and that we can only do one thing Mm -hmm. or we can only handle one thing or, or this or we can only be one thing. Well, I think Sarah would say we can be a lot of things, right? It's interesting. My mother actually raised me and always told us that we could do anything we wanted and be skilled at at a lot of different things. And I think younger, I was very lucky. I had parents that, you know, brought us to soccer practice. And then we also played instruments and I also did karate. And then we're doing like arts classes. So I think that it's really important to have a backup and hopefully like not a backup that's necessarily attached to the aviation industry and it can be anything like you think it could be like your coffee shop local coffee shop you know there's help wanted every day everywhere these days you know and we're in 2023 most jobs if you look online they're all remote so you can do it but discipline is a huge thing you need discipline because otherwise you can easily also drown or spiral. For me, it was huge to actually have that to fall back on on slower months or now with a a life change. And I was going to say, look at what happened is you had this major life change and you were able to transition right into this job because you've had years of experience. And that was very smart. I really appreciate that you said about taking the class. I think that was very wise to do and very intuitive. So that's, you know, a good tip for all our listeners is, hey, if you're really interested in something, take that online class where you can take it whenever you want it, right? When you can do it whenever you want, Mm -hmm. get the certificate, put it on your resume. And you make such a good point, Sarah. So many places are hiring right now. So many places that you can get something. And I think I lack the discipline. I know I lack the discipline when when I was flying because I was just, again, you know, I'm not trying to sound like a broken record here, but I think, and by the way, so many people have autoimmune. So I'm just saying this is my case where I was struggling with it because I had a, I almost died in 2021 and my body was ravaged by it to where I couldn't handle both. Do you know what I'm saying? I couldn't I couldn't handle both. Absolutely. It was too much for me. And I think I knew that intuitively. So if you have that situation, you have that situation. But if not, and you're in a good, healthy yeah. place, then I highly urge you to definitely try to get that second job, especially, you guys, I'm going to say this one more time. If you are an older flight attendant, that is a good thing to do. And you're like, hey, I'm 50, I'm 55, I want to retire. You might want to look into that. So the website I used is called Coursera and it's it's really easy to navigate. So you could as you just mentioned you can do it anywhere, anytime. You pick the classes you want to do, the levels. So yeah, there is no age range or any time limit or, you know, honestly, it's there's no boundaries. You can you can find anything and everything online also, which is great these days. Coursera. <laughs> okay, thank you. That's a big tip. If our listeners want to follow you and read your blog, please tell us where to find you. Well, sarahsadventures.com already. That's a great place to start. My Instagram also is sarahsadventuresig. Uh, I would say those are the two main places where you can find me. Thank you so much, Sarah. We wish you all the luck in the world. We know you're just going to be amazing at this new job and 
We love that you shared your experiences. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Honestly, I'm so glad that you reached out to me. You know, the the beauty of Instagram yet again. (laughs) See, there is beauty in social media as long as you're not, you know, using it badly. But yeah, we're good. Yes. (laughs) Until next time. Happy flying. Thank you, Sarah.